Yeah, so we've, uh, we've been in this series, When God Disappears, uh, and it's, it's, um, it's been, you know, proper, as Doug just said. I mean, we're in this really weird time of life where uh, people are constantly being like, why is this happening? What is going on? Um, and it's, a, it's proper, it's appropriate, because, you know, we don't, it's not as though God comes and just says, this is how it is, this is what's going on. Uh, and then we're going to conclude today in the book of Job, and we're going to see, God does actually show up and he tells Job what's going on. And it's crazy because Job's been sitting there going, why, 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 why? And now God is going to not answer that question. The last couple of days, my daughter Alice has been saying things like, Easter's not going to be the same this year. For Alice, Easter is, I mean, it's a two-part thing. It's, well, three parts. It's, you know, the, the sunrise service uh, at, at Lantern Bay Amphitheater. Uh, Doug and I are trying to work on something. I don't think we're going to be able to do that, but we're going to try and do something live early in the morning. And then it's the 10 o'clock service, and usually there's like some, you know, I don't know, eggs or something for her to, to grab uh, afterwards. I think we've like launched you know, stuff with our trebuchet, like eggs into the air, stuff like that. You know, fun stuff, right? And then we come home and we'd usually do like a little egg hunt there with family. And for Alice, who's, you know, a super social person, it's like, this isn't Easter. Easter is about life. It's about being out. It's about new life. And for a lot of us, it, it, like Doug was saying, it, it, praying, it, it feels more like the grave than the garden. And for Job, it was similar, right? Job lost 10 kids. He lost everything he had. His three friends came, and a couple weeks ago, we saw how they comforted him by telling him how awful he was. Uh, he, he's, he's been begging God, probably at this point for months, maybe, I mean, possibly years, but at least months, saying, God, why could you just come and answer me? At one point, or a couple of points, I think in chapter 9 and again in chapter 19, somewhere in there, uh, Job literally says to his friends, he's like, if God would just come and talk to me, I don't even care what he says. I'll, I'll just, I'll stop. I'll stop complaining. I'll be quiet. And what Job's thinking is, he's like, if God's out there and he comes and he tells me what's up, I'll finally be able to understand. And so here in uh, chapters 38 to 42, God does show up and God does tell Job what's going on. And we're told that God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. So his friends are arguing and talking and then suddenly a wind generates and then he hears the voice of God. And this is uh, uh, chapter 38, verses 3 to 14. Prepare yourself like a man, God says. I will interrogate you, and you will respond to me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you know. Who set its measurements? Oh, surely you know, Job. Who stretched a measuring tape on it? On what were its footings sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in unison, and all the divine beings shouted, who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, the dense clouds its wrap? When I imposed my limit for it, put, a, put on a bar and doors and said, you may come this far, see, and no further. Here your proud waves stop. Hey, Job, in your lifetime, have you commanded the morning? Have you informed the dawn of its place? 
so it would take hold of the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? Do you turn it over like clay for a seal so it stands out like a colorful garment? No, 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 God, no, no, God, what I wanted was to know why I'm suffering. Why, Why are my kids dead? Why am I covered in wounds? Why are my friends jerks? Why does my wife hate me? It's cool, this, uh, this text, it, the, I, I've, I told you before, this is really ancient Hebrew, and it's written like it's, it's poetry. The, uh, the book of Job is written as, as, like, as poem. And uh, probably God here is trying to explain to Job, he's trying to th- make Job think about creation in a way that Job would understand, right? And so he, he talks about like, uh, like the, the, the water of, of the clouds being like, like a, almost like a womb bursting forth, and, and that's the way he describes rain. The way that uh, it describes the, the, the earth is almost like a building, right? Like they're the earth's on foundations, right? And it's been measured out. And, and, and he's, and God's like, so Job, I mean, what, did, did you do that? Because no, you didn't, I did. I'm the one who did that. I love, uh, too, especially in light of modern science, because, you know, modern science, we actually can have a little bit better understanding of some of the stuff that God's talking about. And one of the, one of the things that's really cool is, you know, I have uh, highlighted here, have you informed the dawn uh, of, of its place? You know, have you, have you been the one who tells the dawn when to, like, you know, come and, and change? And the idea is, like, the dawn is almost personified. The dawn is, like, kind of creeping up on the earth, right? And, and you can see maybe the sun is like creeping up on the earth. And, and, and what, what God's saying is he's like, well, could you slow that down? Could you stop that? And, and could you have it so that the dawn, instead of creeping up, kind of like pushes down on the earth really hard, right? And if, if the dawn did that, then uh, it, presumably all the bad guys, the wicked people, would be shaken off the earth, right? If you imagine the, the dawn's like, smashing down on the earth like an earthquake kind of and it would send all the bad people away god's like have you done that well we know now that uh you know the the dawn's not creeping up on the earth earth is you know round and we know what causes the dawn right the earth spins and the sun is at the center of our solar system and when the earth is spinning to the point where the sun starts to shine on us we know that's what we call the dawn and we also know what it would, would happen if we slowed the dawn, right? If you could imagine having, you know, unlimited power, you could slow the, the earth, right? You could, like, stop the spinning of the earth. And we know what would happen. The earth would blow up. And yes, literally, uh, the wicked would be shaken off the earth. They'd be sent into space if we could do that. But it wouldn't just be the wicked, would it? No, if we suddenly stopped gravity, the earth would kind of disintegrate. Everyone would die. And even in Job, even the way that God's describing it to Job, like just Job, imagine that the dawn smashed down like that and the wicked were sent flying. Well, it's not just the wicked that are going, Job. It's the children and the cows 
and the, the buildings, society. If, if the dawn, if, if, I, if I told the dawn, God says, to smash the earth, what would happen is it wouldn't just fix problems, Job. This is a really complicated environment we've got going here, okay? It, it's not like you can just slam things and then have everything work out perfectly. If you do that, if you slam, there's a lot of unintended consequences. Job, you don't get how, how fragile and balanced this whole system is. Why? Because you didn't build it. I did. Job, you couldn't possibly understand it. So I'm talking to you like you're a child because that's basically what you are compared to me. From time to time, there's uh, a lot of people in this church, usually um, the women, but some of the guys too, who get very, very upset because we do not have a proper kitchen. I have a picture here, yeah, I have a picture here of a, uh, this is United Methodist Church. They've got a great kitchen. Their kitchen's awesome. Our kitchen, for some, I mean, my understanding is that we don't have, like, an oven and a stovetop. Is that the issue? Okay, the issue is no oven, no stovetop, so you can't really cook at our church. And so when we have events, we either have to cater, or we have people, like, cook at home and bring it, and then we kind of keep it warm. And so, from time to time, people who are in charge of events will be like, Give us a kitchen. Tom, kitchen now. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. That's awesome. And so I'll go to like, you know, the finance committee or the elders or just anybody. I'll be like, can we have a kitchen now? And then people who know about how buildings work will be like, Tom, you're stupid. Okay, I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. They're like, um, in the real world, uh, the placement of our kitchen is such that we would have to build ventilation going out of the kitchen, up through Lloyd's office on the second floor of Stony Brook, and we would have to vent it out through the roof, and we'd have to have a very... Like, Tom, you can have a kitchen, but it's going to be like one hundred or $200,000. And so at that point, I, you know, I write the check, and okay, done. But what their point is, is that, like, Tom, you don't have any knowledge of, you know, how buildings work. Uh, you don't understand fire codes. You don't understand, like, what permitting is. You're, you're basically useless when it comes to real-world issues. And so you say, give me a kitchen. But what you don't understand is that if we started to give you a kitchen, it would be a massive project. So the complexity of this building is such that getting you your stovetop would disrupt everything. We'd have to rebuild massively. And something similar is going on with the whole universe, right? God's like, oh, Job, I'm not saying that your problems aren't important or real. They are. And God never once, when he's slamming Job, trivializes or minimizes what Job has gone through. He never does that. But what he's doing is he's expanding Job's perspective. He's like, Job, I know it seems like the only thing that's going on in your life is what's happening to you. I know that. I get that. But I have to worry about whether or not the dawn shakes the earth and destroys it. We know that Job's uh, three friends came. I got to, I think it's Blake's art of the, the three friends. And the three friends, what they did is they, they have a, an understanding of the world that's very much like ours. It's very simplistic. It's my understanding of the kitchen. It's like, make the kitchen happen. That's all, they, they think, all right, you know, they, like, Job, if bad things happen to you, it's because you're a bad guy, 
right? You did something wrong. That's how the world is. It's simple. It's simple, Job. Uh, if, you, if, if, if terrible things happen to you, you must have had a really big sin in your life, and that's why. And they come up with these really mechanistic, lever-oriented explanations for the world that completely ignore the complexity of how things actually are. And, Job, and God has to shake Job up and be like, like if, you, if you stop and just look around, just a cursory look around, you'll realize things are way more complicated than you thought. And pressing this button has lots of implications over here. And, and it's not like I can just come in and, and just shake everything up all the time. Anyone who tells you it's simple to, to, to put that oven in the kitchen doesn't understand buildings. Anyone, Job, who tells you it's simple to make sure that the wicked are punished and the righteous are blessed, they don't understand how things work. That's the first thing you note. Know, God rejects easy answers to questions about suffering. When someone comes along and they can explain everything to you and they have the world all figured out, they're a liar. Or they're ignorant. The world's really, really complicated. We're seeing that right now with you know COVID nineteen. It's like everybody in America has an opinion about how many people are gonna get infected, how many people are gonna die. We've got computer models that say this is a nothing burger and you know we're gonna sneeze a little bit and go home. And then we have a computer model that says, Get ready, world, this is you know Ebola part two. And everything in between. It's almost like, and I, I'm just spitballing here, it's almost as if we don't fully understand everything. It's almost like we don't really know what's going on. It's almost like we're kind of at the mercy of a, of a system and a world and a universe that is so utterly incomprehensible that no human being, let alone all of us together, could possibly get their minds around what's going on. So the way Job, uh, way Job, uh, uh, God's speech is just, is um, structured in Job thirty-eight to forty-two is God starts with the natural world, you know, uh, the, the skies and the waters, and the and, and then moves to animals, the animal kingdom, and then even like sp- uh, pulls out specific different beasts that are really fascinating, and, and God is, is pushing on Job to think about them. So this next part uh, of the text is where God uh, kind of looks at horses, right? So let's let's read this from Job thirty-nine. God says to Job, did you give strength to the horse, clothe his neck with a mane, cause him to leap like a locust, his majestic snorting a fright? He paws in the valley, prances proudly, charges at battle weapons, laughs at fear, unafraid. He doesn't turn away from the sword. A quiver of arrows flies by him, flashing spear and dagger. Excitedly, trembling, he swallows the ground. Can't stand still at a trumpet's blast. At a trumpet's sound, he says, aha, Smells the battle from afar, hears officers shouting in the battle cry. You should think about um, getting the uh, the new, uh, or it's two years old now, the Ibo. The Ibo, the Sony Corporation in Japan invented a fake dog. It's called the Ibo. Uh, the Ibo, here's the deal. You might be a little bit like, afraid to jump into the Ibo because it's, it's kind of hefty expensive. It's about $3,000 to get one of these bad boys. 2900 I think, retail. 
Um, but you might, that might turn you off a little bit, but think about this. The average dog, apparently, in the United States of America costs its owners uh, $23,500 over its lifetime. Okay? Because you have to, you know, feed the dog. You have to take the dog to the vet. You have to buy the dog toys and treats and whatnot. And so over the course of your dog's life, uh, it's going to cost you 24000 The IBO is 3000 It's all up front, but you don't have to pay anything after that. This dog does not eat. The dog does pee. Uh, the dog has like a little motion where the dog like pretends to pee, but you don't have to clean it up. Very good deal. And yet, the IBO hasn't really taken off. Do you know anyone with an IBO? Think about the, the savings here. I mean, it's a fraction of the cost of a real dog and does everything that dogs do, right? It can, it can, you can pet the dog. It has machine learning. There's, uh, there's two video cameras. So the dog actually learns the layout of your house. So you can be like to the Ibo, you can go, go to the kitchen and Ibo will walk over to the kitchen. Pretty impressive stuff. Really solid AI as far as, you know, robot dogs go. And nobody cares. Why well, it's almost, it's weird. It's like, this is the best, I mean, so Sony got the best scientist to come up with the ultimate robot dog. The dog that can do everything a real dog does. And yet, I mean, it's cute. You can go bang, bang, and Ibo will like stand up and pretend it gets shot and then fall over. It's a pretty, it's cute. But there's something, there's something about a real dog it's hard to put your finger on it, right? It's like, it's like there's a spontaneity to dogs. We'll put it this way. No one has posted on the, on the internet uh, videos of their Ibo doing something cute. And yet, everyone posts pictures of their real dogs and cats doing wacky stuff. Why? Because real dogs and cats, real animals, have something that even the best artificial intelligence can't quite capture. There's a complexity and a beauty to real animals that... Sony just hasn't quite got yet. Look at this tech. Look, look at what look at what Yahweh God points out about the horse. This is a war horse. Uh, did you give strength to the horse? So the first thing God says is, "I actually gave the the horse its physical power." Okay. I did that. I, I caused the horse to be able to leap, right? I designed the horse to be able to be able to leap up, okay? Uh, he paws, he dances proudly. God says horses have a, a kind of attitude and a kind of uh, sense that, that no robot can have. It's, there's something, it's not human, of course, but there is like a sense of, of love and, so, and self-knowledge, something like that, right? The, the horse laughs at fear, right? The, so the, the horse can charge into combat, right? And the human beings on the horse are terrified, but the horse itself is able to be trained. It has this ability to set fear aside, like a very, very fascinating beast, right? It's excited. It's trembling. You know, it can't stand still when it hears a trumpet. There's something really lively and vibrant and creative about the horse. And this should make us think, right? So Job's sitting here, and what, what's he been doing for, you know, months now? He's like, God, can't you just use your God magic to fix this? That's what he wants. He wants God to pull a solution out of the hat. And be like, whoosh, 
And God could do that, right? I mean, there's stories where God does all kinds of crazy things in the Bible. But, but in general, though, in general, what, how is it that God actually operates? Is God interested in, uh, I have a picture here of, you know, fire coming down from the sky. Is that how God likes to operate? God's like, oh, the human beings are messing up again. I want to, you know, obliterate them. And use magic God fire. Is that how God normally operates? No. What God actually does is God uses his power to create beings with agency and feelings and personalities and abilities and capabilities. God, God could just go and, Job, I'm going to smother all the, all the bad guys. I'm going to blow them all up with my Godfire. God, I could do that, Job. In fact, occasionally I have to. But in general, that's not my modus operandi. In general, my MO is creation. I like to create. I like to give life. And when I give life, I don't want just boring, Ibo, fake dog life. I want real life. I want something that, that is, is surprising and spontaneous and powerful and can do things and accomplish things. That's how I normally operate. I make horses. I make war horses. I don't drop firebombs. I don't know if you saw that movie, 2011 War Horse. Steven Spielberg, not gonna knock. I mean, he's a genius. He's great. But, I, you have to notice, like, right after the mid-90s, Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, he has not made a fun movie since. He tries, and they're terrible. Like, if you saw that Tintin or Tantan, whatever, awful, awful movie. Ready Player One, disaster. Uh, and I love that book. I've read that book three times. And I started to watch the movie, I was like, I can't do this. You don't, got, you don't have it, Spielberg. But, he can't make Indiana Jones anymore, but boy, can he make something that tugs your heartstrings. I mean, War Horse is considered one of his lesser efforts, but I remember watching this movie for the first time, and it's the story of a young man uh, who's bonded with this horse, and they have to survive a battle in World War I together. And it's, it's tremendous. You're watching the movie, and you realize at some point there's not just the kid. The kid's not the main character here. It's the horse. You can see the horse having emotions. You can see the horse bonding to this guy. You can see that this animal truly has capacity, agency. It's wild. And Sony Corporation can't mimic that. God's less interested in, in solving the battle by blowing up things with Godfire. And he's more interested in creating beings that can do things, that can, that can show life. That's where God's power is. And, and beyond that, God's also dealing with a fabulously complex universe like we just saw. So God's got a lot on his plate. He's juggling a lot of balls. And we think that what God should do is be like, oh, fix my problems. God, I prayed, send the God fire. Just wipe away all my, all my issues. Just make it perfect, make it awesome. And that's, you know, sometimes that happens. I, I've heard crazy stories about God doing amazing things for people. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying it in general, that's not how God operates. God would rather create life, create possibility, and redeem us through that. That's the next thing in your note sheets. 
God corrects our perspective on divine power and suffering. We think that God should just fix things. God's interested in creating possibilities and walking through things with us. So at the very end, uh, Job, you know, he's, he's been sitting there. You really have to read it. I mean, we can't obviously cover it uh, all here. But there's, you know, four chapters of God just hammering Job with everything he doesn't know. And it gets to the end. And God stops talking. And this is Job's response. Job answered Yahweh, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be opposed successfully. You said, who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? Well, you're right. I have indeed spoken about things I didn't understand, wonders beyond my comprehension. You said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. Well, God, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And so I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. Not once does God tell Job why. But what God does say is, Job, you couldn't understand if I told you. You certainly couldn't control it. And Job accepts this. Because Job realizes God's there. God's doing things. It's totally beyond what I can possibly imagine. The explanations are too complicated and deep for me to understand. But God's there. He responded to me. He showed up. I don't have to understand. I have to suffer. I have to keep going. I got to keep grieving because it still really, really hurts. But I don't need to know why. It's enough, God, that you came and you listened and you spoke. The fact that you're there, the fact that you responded is enough. But I don't know how satisfying that is for us, right? Even if God can't explain to us why there's a COVID-19, even if it's too complicated for us to understand, don't we want him to respond to us too? Like, wouldn't it be great if God would just send a whirlwind here to to South Orange County and speak out to us and be like, look, you're never going to understand this, all right? This is a crazy town. I'm in control. I've got way more things to deal with than you possibly could ever get. So you're not going to get this. But I, I heard you. We 
well, for Christians, you know, we, we do think, we do believe that God still speaks, right? We, we, um, but it's usually not like that, right? It's usually not like, this is the Lord speaking. Like, that's never happened to me. Maybe that's happened to you. You know, maybe you're schizophrenic. I don't know. But that's not our normal way. Yeah, we'll say, okay, you know, God's spirit, you know, speaks wisdom. But don't we really just want him to show up and be like, here I am. Wouldn't that be enough? Then we could finally say, okay, I'm never going to understand it, but you're here. I know you're responding. Okay, I'm good. I have a picture of uh, Christ of St. John of the Cross. It's my all-time favorite uh, depiction of the crucifixion, Salvador Dali. It's an interesting uh, painting because um, it looks like Jesus is almost falling forward as though the cross is sort of like hanging over all of the universe, right? Like if you look closely, there's like a a fishing boat. I think that's probably like Peter's fishing boat or something like that. Um, And and so there's this whole world and and then Jesus is above it kind of falling into it almost while nailed to the cross. Like the cross is there and Jesus is like, dropping down. And I don't know what Dolly meant by that, but to me it looks like there's all this mess and the crucified Christ is falling into it. You know, showing up. People are like, why is there evil? And God's like, well, you couldn't understand it if I told you. But instead of telling you an answer, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come be with you. And I'm going to absorb that evil into myself. And people are like, well, how often should I forgive people? And God, and God says, you know, I'm, there's, not an, there's no answer to why people hurt each other. I mean, people are bad, whatever. And, but here's, instead of explaining it to you and explaining human psychology, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I'm going to absorb their evil and I'm going to absorb your evil. And I'm going to pay for it. And I'm going to forgive you. And people are like, why is there death? And why, why is it that there's people suffering? And, and God doesn't give an answer. He doesn't say, well, here's why. Here's the big plan. This is, I, I, it's all about this free will. Really, most of the theology is people trying to, trying to come up with reasonable explanations for, for stuff that can't be understood by humans. God's like, there's no way I can explain to you why evil's necessary, okay? Your, your little brains don't, but here's what I'm going to do instead. Instead, I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you. And the worst that you can do to me, I'm going to take it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up to new life. And then I'm going to give that life to you. At no point does God say, oh, stop whining. At no point does God say, oh, you're weak. Probably true, but that's not how God responds. God doesn't tell us the answers. He doesn't insult us. He doesn't trivialize or minimize what we're experiencing, what we're going through. He's not sitting there being like, get over COVID-19. Why can't you just not worry about it? He doesn't say that. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, what he does, he acts. He responds. He shows up, and he says, I will give you life. There's a sense in which uh, God respects human beings who are willing to suffer, 
without understanding why. And God promises, I will respond. And he responds to the whole world for, for all of eternity in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus showing up, falling into this mess is God's ultimate response to all of the insanity, all of the questions, all of the loss, all of the confusion, all of the hate, all of the violence, all of the misery. It, it, it's the final word where God says, you can't understand it, but here I am. I'm with you. I'm for you. That's the last thing on your note sheets. God respects sufferers enough to respond. So why? Don't you wish you could just go over to Wuhan about six months ago and find this little guy? I got a picture of him. He's cute. There he is. That's, he started all of this. It's him. Depending on who you talk to, uh, either this bat was like caught in the wild by... Um, I guess in China, they like to eat exotic animals, which is, wow. Um, so apparently someone either caught this bat, or there are some people who theorize that um, Chinese scientists were experimenting on, uh, on, on bats, and, and one got loose or something like that. But whatever happened, like no one knows. But wouldn't you just love to just go back and like grab this bat, and instead of grinding him up and putting him in someone's soup, instead, that's what they did. You didn't know that? They, they did. They ground it up, and they, someone ate the, the bat. Um, Instead of that, you would love, wouldn't you just love to just put this bat in a cage and wait till it died? Right? Problem solved. I don't know why that didn't happen. And the answer is probably too complicated for my little brain to understand. But I've noticed some things over the last couple of weeks. Have you, isn't it odd how many people are outside? Have you seen this? It's the weirdest thing. Like everyone suddenly, like, thank God. We're, I, so I, you know, I write these sermons with my buddy Mike. He's in Minnesota. <laughs> They're miserable. They can't go outside. Poor guy. He bought a boat. He can't use it because it's too cold. But I, I've noticed that there's just a bunch of kids running around. I uh, took a picture of me working on um, on the uh, on Olivia's homework with her, like this. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> every day she wakes up. She's like, "Daddy, is it homeschool time yet?" <laughs> it's true though. I actually I'm really enjoying it. She hates it, but I love it. It's so fun. Like I'm just like Olivia, hurry faster, faster. No, it doesn't matter if you get it right. She's like, "Yes, it does." I'm like, "No, it doesn't. Just get it done." It's awesome. I hear people, they're saying, they're saying, oh yeah, like, you know, I, I never, for the very first time, I'm like, you know, playing games with my kids. I'm like, hmm, cool. I get texts like, wow, I finally have all this time and I'm being able, I'm able to clean out the garage. Dustin's cleaning out his garage. He has like cool stuff. And I'm going to get a new light from Dustin. All because of coronavirus. 
I'm looking at, you can't see it, but there's these, we got these lights here and they're all going to be like automated. Like that wouldn't have happened. We're going to talk about this more next week because next week's Easter, right? And Easter is about resurrection. But Job, you know, he, he got into this zone where, and, and totally understandably, and it's not wrong. Okay. But, all he could see was his own pain and his own misery. That's it. And of course, like, that's not wrong. We're not going to trivialize that. But one of the things that God is doing is he's like, Job, I know this hurts, but if you could just look up a little bit, you would see that there's a lot more going on here. And not all of it's bad. In fact, some of it might be really, really good. And for those of us who are, you know, we're traveling through Easter, right? And so on Friday, it's going to be Good Friday. We're reflecting on the crucifixion of the Son of God, the, the God of the universe absorbing death to give life. And, and that's a, that, that moment is just absolutely heartbreaking. It's, it's, un, it's incomprehensible to human beings. It's the absolute loss, the, 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 the worst that things could possibly get, God being killed But if you stay in that moment and you never get past that moment, you never get to the resurrection, you never see that there was a plan, that there were things that God was going to bring out of horror. There was going to be new life. There, and, and, it's, and it's here and it's real. It's now. And so next week we're going to start looking at it and we are going to talk about, hey, we're in the middle of a huge reset in our lives right now. We're in the grave as Doug put it. But let's start looking forward to the garden. And let's see what resurrection means for us. Let's see the shift from death to life. Let's see the beyond the, the misery now and the fear now and into a bright future that God has for us. Because one way or another, we will be united to him forever. And that is non-negotiable. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we um, thank you for Job. Thank you that that man suffered well. Thank you that he teaches us what it might be like as we, we are afraid and we do worry and we don't know what's to come. God, thank you for being a God who responds, who spoke to Job out of the whirlwind and who speaks to us now through the cross and the resurrection. God, may your light and life pervade all of our homes. May new possibilities and new rhythms and new experiences be our focus. Thank you for providing for this church and, our, and your people and, and, and thank you for your protection. God, we ask for more of it. We ask that you continue to protect our people. And we ask you to give strength to those who um, are on the front lines, um, healthcare workers, and the people who bring food to the grocery stores and, and drive trucks and 
and just keep uh, things going so that we can uh, continue to survive. Bless them, strengthen them. Show us how we can appreciate them. In all this, God, we trust you because you've spoken, you've responded, and you have responded with life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.